Joshua just said, go crazy when he put the pulpit up here. Uh, I'm not going to go crazy, but we're glad that you are here at Prairie View Christian Church this morning. Glad that you've chosen to worship here with us. And I'm glad to be here because this past week I spent a few days in Boston, Massachusetts at a preaching conference at a seminary near Boston. And I came away with three big takeaways from my trip to Boston. I'd never been to the New England area before. And the three big takeaways I leave with were, number one, there were Dunkin' Donuts on every single corner. That was one thing I learned. Number two, people from Boston have a completely unexplainable hatred of people from Maine. Didn't know that existed. Didn't even know that Maine was a real place. I thought it was some mythical state off in some other dimension. But they hate people from Maine. And then on top of that, if you want to develop a really good Boston accent, which I try to hone my accents as I impersonate people better. I have impersonations for several of you that I won't share with you. But if you want to learn to impersonate somebody from Boston, instead of saying for, you say fu. So instead of F-O-R, it's F-U-H. That's how you speak Boston. So if you ever want to hone your impersonation, there you go. But I'm glad to be back. Glad to be back in Indianapolis and uh, just privileged to be preaching here this morning. So last week we talked about week four, week three rather, in our Trustworthy Sayings series. We're looking at First and Second Timothy and Titus, three letters that Paul wrote to two different young men, two different young church leaders in various places. And throughout these letters, there are five different occurrences where Paul says this is a trustworthy saying. This is something that's trustworthy and true. And so we've been looking at each one of those trustworthy sayings. Last week, we talked about the third one. We have our hope set on the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. And as we went deeper than that, we talked about two questions that every single one of us wrestles with at one point or another in our lives. The first question we talked about is the question of identity, that question of who am I? Where did I come from? Who am I at my real core? Not just the facade of things that I put up and I want people to know me as this person over here who has it all together, who has the perfect life. At the core of my identity, who am I? And many of us will spend months or years or decades trying to answer that question. The other question we talked about was a question of purpose. What am I here for? Okay, maybe I start to get a better idea of my identity, who I am, but am I here just by coincidence or do I have a mission? Do I have a purpose? Is there something bigger than me or am I just going about life waiting until I die and that's the end of it? Do I have identity and do I have purpose? And for us, for our purposes, we discuss the answer that scripture gives to those who follow Jesus. The answer to the first question, the question of who am I? What is my identity? Is that you and I are children of God. That's who we are at the core. We are children of God, not by anything that we've done, but by God's grace seen at the cross, his blood shed and his body broken to reconcile us to God the Father. And other aspects of our identity are important. They don't just completely disappear. There are still aspects of your identity, like what your last name is and what nationality you are and whether you're male or female. All of those things matter, but they all are secondary to your core identity as a son or daughter of God by the grace of God. That's our identity for those of us who know Christ. 
But then when it comes to our purpose, we don't just stop at being children of God. We are saved to be God's children. We are commissioned to be God's servants. When we become followers of Jesus, that is our purpose. That's why we exist. We exist to serve God. We exist to serve the church. We exist to serve one another. We exist to serve those who don't know Christ. That's our purpose. That's our mission. And so we serve. Now, that being said, Paul talks to Timothy about how serving won't always be easy. Sometimes it will feel like toiling. Sometimes it will feel like striving. Sometimes your service to Christ, your service to the church, your service to other people, it will feel completely pointless because there's no real response. There's no impact that you can see that your service is happening. That can make it hard. But Paul also tells Timothy that if serving is going to be this challenge, you can't do it on your own. You need to be training. You need to be training in the things that God has given you to help make you the servant that he wants you to be. Be training in the word. Be training in good doctrine. Be training in sound teaching. Rely on the Holy Spirit that God has given you that can help chisel you and form you into that servant little by little, day by day, that God desires you to be. So, Timothy, get training. Because being a servant won't always be a walk in the park. But that's okay. And we serve anyway, knowing that even the youngest people among us can be these servants of God. That God can use even the young people in our schools, in our colleges, in our congregation. God can use them for his purposes because we have our hopes set on the living God. When training gets tough, when we doubt whether or not we can possibly serve Because we're too young or because we're too inexperienced or because we're not wise enough or because we don't have our lives together well enough. Paul reminds Timothy, we have our hopes set on the living God, the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, that brings us to where we are today in week four, looking at the fourth trustworthy saying, the only one found in Paul's second letter to Timothy. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Second Timothy, chapter two, verses one through 13. That's where we're going to be today. Now, when I was at this conference in Boston last week, one preacher shared a story that I'm going to share with you now, and it was the story of All Saints Church located in Peshawar, Pakistan. And All Saints Church is about to, I don't know if you want to say celebrate, but mourn the anniversary of an incredibly significant event in the life of that church. In September of 2013, two Muslim extremists, suicide bombers, entered All Saints Church in Peshawar, detonated the explosives, and killed 127 people. 200 people were wounded in the explosion at All Saints Church. And after the dust had settled, after things had kind of gotten somewhat calmed down, the people of All Saints Church, those who survived or those who, by the grace of God, may not have been there when the bomb exploded, they returned to the building to try and pick up the pieces. So they started picking up the shoes of dead children. That way they could take these shoes and give them to children who didn't have shoes. They started cleaning the blood off of the walls of their sanctuary, the blood of their loved ones. 
They started to reassemble the pews that could somehow be salvaged, even though they had been so incredibly damaged. And as they're doing all of this stuff, as they're trying to pick up the pieces, they are just mourning and weeping and wailing. And people all throughout Peshawar, people who before had been somewhat indifferent to what was happening at that church, they couldn't ignore the wailing that was coming from that building. It pierced the ears of every single person in that city. But life goes on. Time goes on. Days pass and there's this initial shock and this initial buzz about what happened and why it happened and who did it. But life goes on. That being said, a week later, the Christians at All Saints Church in Peshawar, they got together. And now that the walls have been cleaned, the bodies had been removed, the pews had been put back together, they started worshiping. And reports had it that their singing and their worshiping was even louder than their wailing, even though they were 127 people short compared to the week before. Now, after all of that, all they've seen, all that chaos, all that pain, all that horror, how could they possibly worship? In the midst of that suffering, how could they possibly sing praises to God? You know, honestly, I can't relate to that kind of suffering. My life hasn't been perfect, but I have not had to face any challenges remotely close to the challenges that those Christians at All Saints Church were dealing with a year ago today. Not exactly today, but and are still dealing with to this very day. I can't relate to that, and I doubt very many of us can relate to that either. But Paul can relate to that. Paul knows the kind of suffering that these Christians are dealing with. And we're going to see what he has to say about it in 2 Timothy. Now, this letter is written around two years after 1 Timothy. And this is relatively late in Paul's life. And there's a much different feel to this letter than there is to the letter of 1 Timothy, that first letter he wrote him. In 1 Timothy, Paul is strong, he's challenging, he's encouraging, he's bold, he's giving Timothy guidance and direction about how to avoid bad doctrine and how to stick with good doctrine and how to appoint good leaders and how to make sure you're not appointing bad leaders and giving this very, very gung-ho message to Timothy in that first letter. But we see something a little bit different from Paul in the second letter, because Paul's circumstances are a lot different this time around. Paul says he wants Timothy to come see him. He desperately wants Timothy to visit him because he finds himself in prison. And if that suffering isn't bad enough being stuck in prison, Paul also knows and he's realistic about the fact that he's probably about to die. First Timothy is written by the bold church planter, optimistic about what God is doing through him and what God is going to continue doing in his life and how God is going to continue using him for ministry. And then second Timothy is written by Paul as a tired, suffering servant, knowing that in all likelihood his ministry is coming to an end. He writes this letter, second Timothy, in the face of absolutely incredible suffering. 
Now, Paul is not the first Christian to suffer. He won't be the last Christian to suffer either. We read about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, where he is stoned for his faith. And Paul is one of the people standing there watching as this man dies for his Christian faith. We read about John, who would suffer for his faith to the point of exile. They tried to kill him, and they just couldn't seem to find a way to kill him, and so they eventually just sent him away. Go to an island and just leave us alone. And Paul later wrote the book, John rather, sorry, later wrote the book of Revelation. We read stories of Christians throughout history in the decades following the life and death of Jesus, who suffered incredibly under different dictators and different empires and different periods of persecution. We read about missionaries in foreign countries like those who are held captive at this very moment in North Korea. We read about men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a theologian and church leader and pastor who refused to stand back and watch as the Nazi party attempted to exterminate Jews in Germany. And as a result, he paid with his life. Right now, Christians are suffering at the hands of terrorist organizations like ISIS, being told to convert, pay a tax that most of you probably can't afford, or die. Pick your poison. Which one? Suffering is happening. It's happened in the past. It's happening right now. And it's going to happen in the future. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Early in the letter that Paul's writing here, he says to Timothy, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Share in suffering. Now, if we really think about it, at some point, in some capacity, you and I, as followers of Jesus, will suffer. We might not suffer in the same way the Christians in Peshawar, Pakistan, are suffering. We might not have to stare down the glimmering blade of an ISIS knife. We may not have to deal with some of the pain and heartache that other Christians throughout history have had to deal with. But at one point or another, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you will experience suffering in your life. In some capacity, in some shape, form, or fashion, suffering will come. Because when we become followers of Jesus, we are not exempt from suffering. There is no promise that suffering will no longer be an issue for us. In fact, Paul invites Timothy to share in suffering. Now, that being said, this idea of sharing in suffering as followers of Jesus, it's not the most popular thing in the world these days. If you're familiar with Joel and Victoria Osteen, they have a very famous ministry that has Accumulated a lot of followers, a lot of resources, built a very large church. The messages are inspirational. The messages are uplifting. But there have been Christians for quite some time who have been rightly a little bit concerned about some of the things that are taught by Joel and Victoria Osteen. Some of the things that are emphasized while other things are ignored. And this past week, some of those fears and some of those concerns kind of came to light. There was a moment of honesty, a glimpse into the underlying framework that preachers like Joel and Victoria Osteen operate with. And you may have seen it. It might have gone viral on social media, this video from a service at that church. And in this video, Victoria Osteen, with Joel standing beside her, says this. 
I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we are happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. Now, I'd like you to imagine that sermon being preached in Peshawar, Pakistan. Imagine the person who just washed the blood off the walls of their loved one who were killed by a suicide bomber. Imagine them hearing that sermon. Do good because God wants you to be happy. Albert Moeller talking about this video, this quote from Victoria Osteen wrote this. If our message cannot be preached with credibility and mazel, it should not be preached in Houston. The gospel does not exempt us from suffering. The gospel did not exempt people in Peshawar, Pakistan from suffering. Christianity does not always lead to health and wealth and prosperity and happiness. Sometimes it leads to suffering. And I'm not talking about the suffering where we're told not to wear a cross at our workplace. I'm not talking about suffering in the sense of being told happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Those are not suffering. Those things are not persecution. But don't get me wrong. Suffering will come. It may come in a different form than what Christians across the world are dealing with. Maybe it will come in the form of cancer diagnosis. Maybe it will come in the form of physical, emotional or sexual abuse. Maybe it will come in the form of the death of a loved one. And you'll ask yourself, why am I dealing with the suffering? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to please God in everything that I do. I'm trying to seek him in every part of my life. Why would God allow this suffering to come into my life? Well, we're going to read what Paul has to say about suffering and how in the world we as followers of Jesus can possibly endure the suffering that will inevitably come in our lives. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, if you want to use one of our Bibles, it's going to be located on page 854. If you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk before you leave today. Now, being that this is a pretty heavy introduction to a sermon, and we're about to get into the topic of suffering, let's pray, and then we'll get going. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can come here and worship you for the most part, completely removed from any type of suffering for our faith. God, we know there are followers of Jesus who are a long way away, who we have very, very little in common with, who are suffering at this very moment. We read the newspapers, we watch TV, and we hear about organizations like ISIS. We hear about the atrocities that occur in other places all around the world. And God, we just lift up our brothers and sisters to you who are suffering. We pray that you will give them strength. We pray that they will find strength in you to endure that suffering. And God, we also pray for those who are suffering in other capacities. Maybe not suffering because we are followers of Jesus, but we are suffering in spite of the fact that we're followers of Jesus. I pray that 
you will be a source of comfort and strength there as well. And God, I pray that whatever baggage we're bringing in here, whatever suffering we're dealing with, or whatever suffering we may find ourselves dealing with tomorrow that is completely unexpected, I pray that your word this morning would speak to that. So God, watch over us, guide us, and protect us, and help us to see you clearly through your word this morning. We love you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. That's where I'm going to start. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering. Again, there's that invitation. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So Paul extends the invitation a second time. Share in my suffering, Timothy. Now, when you really think about it, it's not exactly the most appealing invitation in the world. Imagine if we got a new church sign and put it on Allisonville Road and it said Prairie View Christian Church, share in our suffering. Probably wouldn't be that attractive to people driving by. And yet that is the invitation that we see here extended to Timothy. And that may be the invitation that you and I are extended more often than we might hope that we would see it. Now, assuming that Timothy or any other Christian or any of us would even want to accept that invitation, Paul goes on and he says something. He says, this suffering that I'm inviting you to, the fact that I'm a prisoner, the fact that I'm in all likelihood about to die for my faith, this suffering, if you choose to accept this mission to share in suffering, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be as easy as you might think it would be. Now, how many times can we really admit that we hear stories about people suffering for their faith and we often say, you know what, if I were in that situation, I'd suffer too. I'd be willing to deal with it. If I were facing down ISIS and I had to choose between convert, pay a tax or die, even if I had the money to pay the tax, I would still choose to die just on the sake of principle for my faith because I am willing to suffer. However, when we really think about it, all of us could probably admit that we really don't know what we would do in those situations. I have no idea what I would do if I had to choose between watching someone I loved die or standing for my faith. I like to think that I would stand for my faith, but I'm also willing to admit that I'm weak enough to say I don't know what I would do in those situations. And I doubt any of us really know what we would do in those situations because we haven't found ourselves in those situations. Suffering, it's easier said than done. It's a huge challenge. It's not something to be entered into lightly, but Paul extends the invitation and invites him to share in suffering. But then he says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because, Timothy, if you're going to accept this invitation, that is the only way that you will possibly be able to endure. If you try to endure suffering on your strength alone, you will fail. You will fall short. If you think that you can handle it, if you think that you can just get through it by picking yourself up by your bootstraps, you're going to be disappointed. Because suffering... For followers of Jesus, you can't endure it apart from faith in Christ. 
apart from the grace that God shows us, apart from the strength that the gospel gives us. And, you know, if there's anyone to speak with authority on enduring through suffering, that person is Paul. So he makes it clear, Timothy, the only way you're going to endure the suffering that I'm dealing with, the suffering that you could deal with, is if you are strengthened by God's grace. If you plant your feet in the gospel and plant your feet nowhere else. You may have heard about Michelle Knight. She was one of several women who was kidnapped in Cleveland, Ohio, and held hostage for over 10 years. This was a big story around a year ago. And when she was released in 2013, she was, of course, bombarded with requests for interviews and bombarded with requests for uh you know, book deals to share her experience and things that she went through. But she said at one point, somebody asked her the question, how could you could you possibly survive what you've been through? The incredible pain and torture and suffering. How in the world did you endure this? And Michelle Knight's answer was, all I thought about was my son. All I could think about was my son. In fact, when the house was later searched, It was discovered that she had a journal that she had been keeping for 10 years, and the journal was filled with her own drawings of her son. And so she said, if I didn't have that hope of my son, I could have never made it in the situation I found myself in. And while Michelle Knight's source of strength for her suffering may have been her son, for followers of Jesus, our strength in the midst of our suffering is the gospel. It is the only thing that could possibly give us the strength we need to endure. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verses 4 through 7. Paul kind of elaborates on this. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul elaborates and he gives three examples of Timothy. Think about it this way. Timothy, think about it that way. Timothy, look at it like this. And the three examples he give are number one, a soldier, the soldier who focuses so much on pleasing their superior that they give up almost everything else. When you devote yourself to serving in the military, you give up so much of your autonomy. For a long time, you were dedicating yourself to being told when to wake up, when to go to sleep, what to wear, what not to wear, when you're supposed to eat, when you're not supposed to eat. And so Paul tells Timothy, think about that, Timothy, as you endure suffering. Keep your mind focused on the gospel. Let that be your source of strength. The next comparison he gives is an athlete who suffers through intense training day by day for weeks or months or years on end for an event that may only last five minutes. There aren't any shortcuts if you want to accomplish that goal, if you want to compete in that event, Timothy. So be like that athlete who day by day is trusting in God's grace, is being strengthened by God's grace as you endure suffering. And Timothy, be like the farmer, the one who wakes up early every single day because their life depends on them being dedicated to farming. The lives of their family depends on their dedication to farming. 
So be as dedicated as the soldier. Be as dedicated as the athlete. Be as dedicated to the farmer. Not to your own work alone, but be as dedicated to the grace of God that will strengthen you to endure suffering. Pick back up in verse 8, moving along through this passage. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So Paul says, Timothy, be strengthened by God's grace. And the second thing he says is, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. And I love that phrase that Paul uses. The word of God is not bound. And it's ironic because as Paul is writing this, he is bound. He is in chains. He is in a jail cell. But he says, Timothy, I can be chained up, but the word of God isn't. And he knows this from experience. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. Another letter that Paul wrote while he's sitting in prison. He says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers... Having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul celebrates the fact that I'm bound, but the word of God is not. And even in the midst of my prisoner time in this jail cell, even in the midst of my suffering, the imperial guard, the people who are watching over me, the people who are guarding the doors to my jail cell, they're starting to realize that I do this for Christ. The people who aren't in chains, the people who aren't bound, my brothers and sisters, they're being emboldened to strengthen, to preach the gospel even more through what I'm dealing with, through the suffering that I'm enduring. And so Paul says, Timothy, when you accept this invitation to suffer, understand this, that they can chain us up. They can put us in jail cells. They can harm us. They can even kill us. But the gospel will live on because the word of God is not bound. You can lock me up. You can throw away the key, but you cannot lock up and throw away the gospel. It will live on not because I live on, not because you, Timothy, live on. It will live on because Jesus lives on even in the midst of our suffering. And that thought gives Paul the strength to endure. Remembering that the gospel relies on Jesus, not on him. Remembering Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, the one who died and the one who rose. Being strengthened by the grace of God. Closing out the passage, look at 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. We finally get to our trustworthy saying. The saying is trustworthy for If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, this saying in verses 11 through 13 is probably something Timothy's heard before. It's probably a type of hymn or a type of poem that Timothy may have heard before. But Paul reminds him of it. And he says, Timothy, this call to die 
that you might be facing? This invitation to share in my suffering? Know this, Timothy. It's not in vain. Your death will not be in vain. My death that I know is coming soon. It's so close I can smell it. I know that my death isn't going to be in vain either. I know that my suffering isn't in vain. He encourages Timothy and says, look, this challenging that I'm issuing to you, this thing that I'm challenging you to have, this endurance that I'm trying to spur you on towards, the reward will be worth it. Again, your dying and your suffering will not be in vain. And Paul finishes by saying, even though many others may fall away, even though you and I are tempted to fall away ourselves, even though you and I have hearts that are prone to wander, know that God is faithful, that God is faithful to his promises, that God is faithful to his covenant, that the gospel lives on. And even in spite of us, And in spite of our unfaithfulness, God does remain faithful. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, just a couple chapters later. We read there in that passage. I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Those words are some of the most heartbreaking, yet encouraging words that Paul would ever write in the pages of Scripture. He knows his time has come. He knows that he's not going to have some miraculous escape like he has in the past. He knows that he's not going to get out of this predicament that he finds himself in. However, we see him at peace in the midst of this. We see him at peace in the midst of suffering. We see him at peace as he faces down death itself. And we see him eagerly awaiting his reward. How in the world could Paul do that? How could Paul possibly be facing the suffering that he's facing and be aware of what's coming next and still remain faithful and still worship and still praise? Well, he was strengthened in God's grace. He remembered Jesus Christ and he knew that his death and his suffering were not in vain. That's what gave Paul strength to endure a prison cell. That's what gave Paul strength to stare down his own death, knowing that it was right around the corner. That's what gave Christians at All Saints Church strength to worship days after the atrocities that they had witnessed with their own eyes. He found strength in the gospel, strength in God's grace. He remembered Jesus Christ and he remembered this trustworthy saying. So if you're suffering right now for your faith, for some other reason, I want to remind you of the same things. Place yourself in God's grace. Remember Jesus Christ and know that even in the midst of your suffering, that there is a reward for those who endure. So plant your feet in the gospel. It's the only way you will endure. I'd like to leave you with Paul's last words, really in Scripture, considering this is the last letter Paul is considered to have written. 
we read in the closing of this letter, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. If you are suffering, I pray that the Lord will be with your spirit, that grace will be with you, and that you will find strength in the gospel alone. Let's pray. Father, again, anyone who's realistic about life, we know that we are not exempt from suffering when we place our faith in you. In fact, for many Christians throughout history, many Christians at this very moment, a lot of suffering could be removed if they would just denounce their faith in you. So many of them are suffering. So many of them are being killed. And we're often so oblivious to it. But I pray that we won't be. I pray that you will help us to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world who are going through the kind of suffering that we can't possibly even wrap our minds around. But God, I also know that there are people here who are suffering. It might not be the same type of suffering, but in the midst of pain, pain is pain. So God, I pray that you will strengthen those of us who are dealing with suffering. Regardless of what the cause is, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of how one person might think our suffering is more trivial than somebody else's, God, I pray that you will give us strength, that you will be with our spirit, and that we will plant our feet in the gospel. Give us the strength to endure that we don't have on our own. Give us a complete dependence upon your grace and upon your grace alone. And help us remember Jesus Christ in the midst of all of this and know that we're not alone. We love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're suffering at this moment and you're not a follower of Jesus, I wish I could stand here and tell you that if you just place your faith in Christ this morning, then all that suffering will go away. But I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is that if you place your faith in Christ this morning, you can find peace even in the midst of suffering. So if you haven't made that decision yet, I pray that you will do that. I pray that you'll talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer any questions you have, happy to pray with you with whatever you're dealing with. They'll just be there for you and let you know that in the midst of your suffering, you are not alone. And if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you are suffering right now and you haven't really wanted to tell anybody. You haven't wanted to burden people with your problems. I pray that you'll talk to someone about it, that you'll let me, you'll let the leaders of this church, you'll let your other brothers and sisters in Christ know how we can be praying for you, how we can encourage you, how we can support you, how we can help meet any needs that you might have in the midst of that suffering. So talk to one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. I hope you'll take advantage of that.